Luke, uh, to study what is a familiar psalm to us, uh, but one I think still speaks to us uh, in a, a mighty way, even if we've heard it many, many times. And I know it is familiar to us, and I know it's rather long, but if you'll bear with me, I want us to read all 24 verses so that we can just get these words before us, kind of get them in our minds, okay? So, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I wake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy word, a portion that is like a, a close friend to us, a very familiar passage, uh, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might behold wondrous things in this your word. Show us who you are, God. Show us your character, and even more than that, show us our Savior. Show us, show us Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. The God who knows me. Well, it is often said, and we know it to be true, that we live in an information age. One where quick access to almost anything is just a click or a Google search away. You know, if I want to know the weather in Timbuktu, if I want to know who the MVP of the 1985 uh, Super Bowl was, and I did not look that up, I should have, but I could know it if I wanted to right now. I can know it quickly. If I want to know how to fix anything around the house, even if I don't have the ability, if I want to know how to fix it, I can find it instantly, almost instantly, no matter where I may be. You know, it's amazing and sort of scary the amount of information that is out there, and that's particularly true when we consider the amount of information 
that is available about each one of us as individuals. You know, unless you have found a way to get off the grid, the fact is, is marketers and companies with their mystical and mysterious algorithms, you know, there's movies about these things now, uh, with, with their formulas, they are constantly collecting data about our personal lives, about our preferences, about our shopping habits, even about our personalities. I think all of us have had that experience where we are talking about something that we want or that we need just out generally, and we pick up our phones, and the first thing we see on Facebook or on the Internet is an advertisement for that thing, right? They're watching. They, they know. I don't know who they are, but they are watching. And so when you consider all that information that's out there, that, that they are collecting, and when you consider the amount of information that we are putting out there about ourselves, you would think that, that maybe someone could put together a profile of each of us that would be pretty exhaustive. You know, that there's somebody sitting in a dark room somewhere with a sinister look on his face, his or her face, and they have, they have finally gotten to the bottom of Stephen. They know completely who I am. But as we consider that, that virtual imprint, before we panic, and really more importantly, as we consider the reality of our own hearts, we recognize uh, that not even the most well-informed data collector can know it all. Right? Not even the, the people closest to us, as Ben reminded us, really knows everything about us. Right? None of them really know us completely. Our deepest fears our deepest worries, our deepest joys, those things that we are most ashamed of, that we try to hide from everyone else. Imagine, if you can for a moment, if that person next to you in the pew right now knew everything. Every sing- I see Ethan looking at Dylan, and Dylan's looking at Ethan, and they, they may know a lot about each other, but imagine if they did, if they knew it all. I imagine things would clear out pretty quickly, right? At the very least, we would have to have a whole lot of really embarrassing, really awkward conversations. And so we keep these things sort of close to the vest, right? We keep certain things hidden. And as a result, maybe to our great relief, no man, no woman, no computer can know us completely. In fact, if we take Jeremiah 17.9 completely, that the heart is deceitful above all things, who can know it? The reality is, is we don't even know ourselves completely. It would seem that in so many ways, we are enigmas. We, we are unknowable. That is, to all except one. One who here in Psalm 139 reveals himself very clearly to us. You know, Though we may avoid marketers, though we may conceal certain truths from those around us. What we're going to learn here today is that there is nothing, nothing at all, hidden from the almighty, holy creator of all things. All is laid bare before him. And what I want to submit to you today is that knowing that, knowing that there is nothing hidden from his sight, And then learning who he is here in this passage. All of that 
should give us a certain amount of pause. You know, it's one thing for people to know us. It's one thing for, for companies to know us. Friends, it, it's something altogether different for the God of all creation to know us. And what I want to ask you is how do you react today to knowing that He knows? What, what is your reaction emotionally, eternal, internally, when you hear that truth? I want to say to you today is whatever that reaction may be, it will tell us a lot about the state of our individual souls. It will tell us about who we are truly resting in. And so that's where we're working to. But before we get there, the psalmist does reveal to us much about our God, this one who knows us completely. And so the first thing that I want you to see here in this passage are three attributes of God. Three attributes, three characteristics of God. Now clearly these are not the only attributes of God. There are many that we can mention. His immutability, his eternality, uh, his, his eminence, his transcendence, his holiness. We've sung about that already this morning. And some of these will come into play as we mentioned the three before us. But these three that David mentions in this psalm, they may be the most well described, the most well known of God's characteristics, and they are uh, his omnipresence, uh, his omniscience, and his omnipotence. Now, those are big words, uh, and I know that you are all familiar with them, but they're really just thousand-dollar words that are used by theologians, one, to make us look smarter than what we are, but two, also to, to convey that God is all-knowing and that he is all-powerful, and that he is all present, or he is everywhere present. And so in verses 1 through 6, you see his omniscience. God sees and knows everything with a perfect, exhaustive knowledge. Never does he wonder, never is he caught off guard. His understanding is perfect. Now, we need to recognize that that's true Generally, his knowledge is uh, complete generally of all things. But notice, almost intimidatingly, how the, the psalmist makes it personal here. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me. Yes, God knows world events. Yes, he knows the truth of history. He knows the ins and outs of how all things work. But he also in verse 1, knows me. He looks at each one of us as individuals, and he knows us with that same perfect and exhaustive knowledge. Again, here we're getting to that transcendence and that eminence, right? He's transcendent. He knows all things. But he's eminent in that he knows us. He knows each individual. And look at how that knowledge works itself out there in verse 2. He knows our thoughts. I was listening to a podcast this week, a sports podcast, and it was these guys, they were arguing about stuff, and they were talking about a particular issue. And in the course of their argument, one said to the other, well, you're asking me to know the thoughts of this person. I can give you my opinion. I can give you what I think. But now you're asking me to know his thoughts. And he said, I can't know that. And that's right. 
Uh, we would love to know what other people are thinking, right? Husbands, wives, we would love to know what our spouse is thinking. If you're a parent, you would love to know what your children are thinking sometimes. We can't know those things, but God, He does know our thoughts. Every thought that runs through our heads, the good and the bad, He knows them. Verse 3 and verse 5, He also knows our ways. He sees them. He also establishes them, right? makes you think of Proverbs 16.9. Y'all know that proverb well. Sorry, I meant to mark it. It says, The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord, he is the one who establishes his steps. Think of Psalm 23. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He knows our actions. He knows the way that we go. Then in verse 4, knows our words. Now, as somebody who claims to, to talk for a living, this is an amazing truth to me, right? Now, this may be, you may not want to hear this, but the, the simple truth is, is 95% of the time, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. But God knows. Even before I know, even before the words are on my tongue, the psalmist says, God knows. We, we never have to worry about God misunderstanding us or misinterpreting us. We don't have to wonder if he knows what we need. We don't have to worry about Satan throwing some accusation out about us that, that catches God, God off guard. Nor can we ever bring anything to him that, that from ourselves that will catch him off guard. He already knows it all. Never can we think that that we have duped him or that we have have gotten something over on him. He knows and he sees even our worst. To sum it up, we, we are wholly and completely exposed before this God. And so it's no wonder that David says there in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, we'll try to to come back and unpack the implications of this knowledge in just a moment. But for now, I simply want you to note that to be be known this way by God uh, should not only be a comfort to us, as Ben said, but it should also strip us of of all pride. Uh, It should also leave us in awe uh, before this God who knows us so well. So we see, first, is, is omniscience. Uh, there in verses 7 through 12, we see his omnipresence. He's everywhere. Now, it's interesting and not coincidental that David would follow up God's knowledge of us with his uh, ever-presence, right? Because when we learn that God knows us in this way, what's our first reaction to that? Just to want to run, right? You think about Adam and Eve in the garden, when they are exposed for their sin and they realize God is going to know the truth of what they've done, what do they do? They run and they hide. You think of Jonah, the same thing. As he rebels against God, his response is, let's get on this ship to Tarshish and let's run away from God. Let's try to get away from these things. And we do the same thing. We try to avoid his word. We try to avoid church. We try to avoid God's people. I think we'll get away from this God. Well, to whatever extent we think that we can do that, David exposes our folly here in verse 7. 
He says, where shall I flee from your presence? And then he gives us some possibilities. He says, if I go up, if I go to the heavens, if I go down, if I go all the way to Sheol, Lord, you are there. Reminds us of the words from Amos chapter 9 and verse 2. He says, if they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. This is God speaking. If they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. There's no height nor depth that we can get away from God. Verse 9, he says, if we go to the east, if we go to the west, if we go to the very depths of the sea, he's there. Not only is he there, but he leads us there. He holds us even there. Again, you think of Jonah. Uh, He goes down into the belly of the fish, and there's some theological controversy on exactly what that means. Obviously, he he is in the depths of the sea, but there's kind of an allusion there to Sheol, to this same word that, that David uses, that he is even in the heart of the grave. What does Jonah find even in those depths? He finds God. He finds God with him even there. And then in verse 11, he says, if I go into the darkness, God, it is light to you. Um, they don't do this anymore at Bon Clarkin, but when I first started going to Bon Clarkin, you could go caving. There was a cave. I don't know if any of our folks here actually have done that. Um, but there was uh, a cave that was on some property, and the first thing they would do is you'd have to climb down, of course, and you'd have to go down this really long ladder. And once they got you into the actual cave where you would be, they said, all right, everybody turn off your lights. And so we would. And, y'all, it is like we talk about pitch black darkness. But when you are in the heart of the earth and there is no light at all, it is a darkness that is hard for me to describe to you. It is complete and it is pitch black. David says even there, that darkness is even light to our God. Nowhere can we run from him. Nowhere can we flee from his sovereign plan, his all-encompassing presence. He is everywhere. Finally, notice there in verses 13 through 18 that not only is God all-knowing, not only is he ever-present, but he is also all-powerful because he is the creator God who in verse 13 knits us together in our mother's womb. Each individual, not just generally, each individual he knits together in their mother's womb. We're not chance, we're not a process of evolution, but God himself puts us together. He planned. He pieced together all the the intricately woven details of our frame, our eye, our veins, our nervous system. If you want to just have your mind blown, uh, our good friend Patrick Brockway, he's put together this presentation on the various proofs of God. And one of the things that he goes through are proofs from creation, things like this. And his is more of a cosmic kind of proof that, that there are just minute elements out in the solar system that if they were off by even like a fraction of a fraction, that the whole thing would fall apart. Everything would implode. Our bodies are the same way. This God, this all-powerful God, put it all together. power not only to put us together but to plan and to execute every one of our days David says even before they were as of yet he knew them he established them 
One last time, go back to Jonah. Jonah flees, but how is it that God gets his attention? It's through the natural order of things, right? God reveals his power to Jonah through the storm, through the, the, the fish that eats him, through the, the plant that grows up, through the worm that ultimately eats the plant. God, at every turn of that story, is demonstrating his power. Demonstrating even his power over Jonah because Jonah thinks he's running away, but God all along is leading him right to where he needs to be, to those days that God had planned out for him. There is nothing, nothing that this God, this creator, cannot do. And so we have here three attributes of God his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. Now, let me ask you, knowing that, recognizing that that this is the God that we claim to worship, that this is the God that is revealed to us in the Bible, the one whom we will all have to stand before one day, uh, how do you feel knowing that, that this is the reality of who he is, that this is his sure knowledge of you? That he is everywhere. There's nowhere that you can run from him. That he is all-powerful. I want to submit to you that there are two possible responses. Only two possible responses to such knowledge. And that's our second point here. Two possible responses. The first one should be at least for the wicked, those lost in their sin, when they hear this truth, their reaction should be fear. Fear because the Holy One of Israel, who knows all, who is everywhere, who is all-powerful, He is also just. And He will act. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. All our flippant words that we think maybe no one heard, he heard. All our stray thoughts that we think we can keep from everyone else, he knows. All our ungodly ways that we think we have hidden in our past or we think, again, that only we know, he knows them all. And he knows them with the full force of his power. He will bring justice. As David says there, as David requests, he will slay the wicked. Those who have spoken maliciously against him. Those who take God's name in vain. Those who who rise up against him and against his people. Friends, the, the simple truth is, is no one can or will be able to hide from this God. No one will be able to make excuses. All will stand, as we've said, stripped of all defenses, completely exposed for who and for what they are. That includes you, and that includes me, even in these moments, even as we come to this word. He has exposed us. He has shown us exactly who we are. Friends, these are words that that the world would certainly scoff at. They would say, oh, there's nothing like this. You don't have to worry about this. Many, even in churches today, would try to soften these words. But the reality cannot be changed. For sinners to stand before a holy God is a dreadful thing. 
Think of all of the biblical examples that we have of people coming before God. We won't rehearse them, but you know them. Every time, it is fear, abject terror that they have until someone tells them not to fear, until God himself says, you don't have to fear, right? Fear before a holy God, if you are lost in sin, is not a wrong response. So that's possibility number one. But secondly, and maybe surprisingly, there seems to be another option here. There seems to be another response that we can have. One, not of fear, but of bold confidence. Confidence to approach God and ask Him to do what seems to be unthinkable, what we would least want Him to do. Verse 23, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Now to be sure, God has already done all of these things, but David here, he is inviting the scrutiny. He is inviting God to show him every heiress way that may be in him. Show him the truth of who he is so that God, who holds him in verse 10, who knitted him together in verse 13, might lead him in verse 24 in the way everlasting. Again, there is a boldness here. Uh, There is even maybe a brashness to this prayer. This is in every sense, a a dangerous prayer, right? God, search me. Know my heart. It's dangerous enough that it should surprise us. After all, David was not a perfect person. His sins are, are, are recorded for us very clearly in the pages of Scripture. And so, as we conclude, my question is, is what made the difference? How can David distinguish between the wicked in verse 19 that he calls for gods to slay and himself in verse 23 as he invites God to search him and to know him? Thirdly and finally, I want you to see one all-sufficient Savior. We've seen three attributes of God, two possible responses, and one all-sufficient Messiah. The path from fear to to confidence before God rests not in David's goodness. He has none. It rests not in his devotion, which was often shaky, but it rests in the Messiah. It rests in the the Lord that that he refers to in Psalm 110, right? The the Lord says to my Lord. It wasn't all that long in Luke's gospel that, that we came across that passage, right? Lord says to my Lord, Adonai. My my Messiah, David, like Abraham, like Moses, like all those believers before him, he looked by faith to the one who was to come. One who would do what no one in Adam could do. He, He would follow God's law perfectly. One who would stand in the place of all his people as the perfect redeemer, the perfect sacrifice. One who would give them, as Paul says, not a righteousness from the law, but one that comes through faith. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. Who is that one? Who is that Messiah? Of 
course, it's the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the key. He is the only means of deliverance from death to life, from fear unto hope. In Him we have access. In Him we have peace. In Him we can stand exposed and not shy away, not run in abject terror, not shrink away in fear. Because He has taken our sin. He has taken our guilt. He has dealt with it once and for all. All our filthy rags are no more if we rest in Jesus. We can even invite God to analyze us the way that David does here. And we can do it with confidence. We can do it with boldness. Knowing that the Father, as He does that, will lead us in His way. He'll lead us on those righteous paths, the way eternal. In short, we don't have to fear. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to wonder. We can have confidence. And we can have it in Christ today as we rest in Him, as we trust in Him, as we follow Him wherever He may lead. As we've seen, uh, there is no other way to be reconciled to the Father. And so I'll ask you, Will you believe? Will you trust in this Jesus today? Friends, if you've done that, then then as Ben said, you have a great confidence. You, You have a great hope. God has seen you at your worst, and he's loved you with so great a love that he sent Jesus to die for you. And now there's nowhere you can wander away from him where he will not come and pull you back. Nowhere is there where you can go that He will not hold you, that He will not keep you. Even to the end, He will hold you. There's no power great enough to separate you from what He has done through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's what a God we serve, a God who is all-knowing, a God who is all-powerful, a God who is ever-present in our lives and throughout this world. And what a wonderful love he has shown for us through his son, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so again, one last time, I will ask you, how will you respond? There's two possibilities. There's fear. If you are in your sin today, friends, then that is the right response. But then there's also hope. There's hope in Christ. Will you believe in him as we pray together? Father, We thank you that you do love us. Lord, as we hear these truths about who you are, uh, it is overwhelming and it is awe-inspiring. Lord, we think that we are safe in our own minds and that nothing kind of gets out of those places. Uh, But Lord, it is all unveiled to you. And Lord, how thankful we are uh, that you have seen it all uh, and that you have not turned away. You have not rejected us this offhand but you have loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. And so, Lord, we pray that our hope and our trust would rest in him and in him alone, and that as we go out, we would just overflow with this joy of knowing that that we are known completely uh, and that we are safe. We are safe with our Savior. Lord, again, we, we praise you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.